This is a podcast from Pluto Press, one of the world's leading independent radical publishers. Voices from the Jungle is a book of stories told by refugees who lived, for a time, in the notorious camp near Calais on the French coast. In this podcast, we hear Africa's story. Africa grew up in Sudan. He tells us about his childhood and adolescence as a student in Africa, his journey across two continents, and ultimately about his experiences of life in the jungle. It's a story of two halves, of terror, persecution and lost dreams, but also of solidarity, community and hope. Africa finally made it to London, where he now lives. His story is read by Dr Tahir Zaman, prior research fellow at UEL's Centre for Migration, Refugees and Belonging, and now visiting research fellow at the Centre for Religion, Conflict and the Public Domain, University of Groningen. We'd like to express our thanks to the authors and readers for allowing these stories to be told, and to Refugee Tales, for whom these podcasts were first produced. The book is available from Pluto Press at plutobooks.com. Africa. When I was a young boy, I had my own dreams, like crazy dreams. I wanted to be like Bruce Lee. When I grew up as a teenager, I wasn't following girls and things like that. I just wanted to be good at martial arts. I had this special idea of making my own martial arts. But I couldn't do this because already when I was 20 or 21, I had an operation on my stomach. That made me stop doing any self-defense or any sport. After that had become my new way of life. I started to think about how I could make myself a useful person. How I could be responsible. How I could make my life. Nothing endures but change. Nothing stays the same. I really wanted to graduate from military academy as an officer. But the operation also stopped this. They won't accept you if you've had an operation on your body. So I went to university. I would have preferred to read law, but my qualifications didn't allow me to enter into the law course. Because of that, I chose something near to law, political science. The government wanted me to work for them. They chose the people who have connections with the students to ensure them their presence there on the campus. I refused, like four or five times, to be with them, because I knew they were lying. They said things to me about democracy or something like that. Even after I graduated, really I took like three or four years to get my certificate from university because they had already seen the blacklist. You could see that my name was on the blacklist. After I'd paid a lot of money, I was able to get my certificate. When I started to think about helping people, that was really at university. While I was still at university, I started a little charity union. We were called the Political Science Union. We were 20 people. It was my idea. I wouldn't like to say I was the boss. I was the organiser. I knew among the students exactly who needed money to pay for university. I knew who was coming from the villages and hadn't found a place to stay. I went around to many charity places to ask to collect money for these people to help them. That was what made the government come and say, you will come with us. When I refused, that became a big problem. That made them destroy this charity union. My little union. After graduation, we have military service. You go to a military camp. The military service is not just training. You are, you are part of the army. There's no difference between you and a real soldier. Unless you do that, you cannot work. 
you cannot move on. You cannot get your university certificate. If you remember, I said I was suffering for three years before I could get my certificate. I should serve for one year. After that, I should get the certificate. When I was near to serving one year, they said, I don't know, that something that happened that made me to resume military service again from the beginning. They said, no, no, go to the center. And they sent me back. This was because of my union work. After that, when I went to the Ministry of Work to ask for a job, they refused. I could never work for the government in any way. Okay, so that made me drop my certificate outside my life. I was 25 or 26. Work in the civil service would have been the best option for me. But the private sector didn't take on anyone graduating in political science. After that, I worked independently in the market as a trader. I got digital receivers and I had a shop for this. I got a contact in Coca-Cola company, so I started working there in marketing for the International Coca-Cola Company. After that, I became a salesman for them. Coca-Cola then transferred me to another company, a company for dairy products. I worked there for four years. After that, I made my own business, a store, I started my own store where I sold many things. Something smaller than a supermarket, just selling small electronic equipment and devices. The store had a technology section with mobile phones, iPhones, cameras, little radios with batteries and things like that. When I came to make this business, I moved to another place three or four hours away because I had already discovered that some people were following me, even sometimes when I had left the university. My father said it would be safer to move from there to another place. My entire family had to move with me. I have one real brother and five half-brothers. It's not like here. When you're 18 or 20, you choose your life, you stay alone. You can't stay alone until you are married. And even then, you have to live close to your family. After some months, you should be able to get your services like electricity, water and so on. We had already paid, but after three months, no services had come to us. I knew all my neighbours around me, so we had a little meeting in the mosque. I took notes and went to the local government and asked them, why is this happening? After two days exactly, someone from the government came in my store. It was in March. They asked me, where's your tax receipt? Which I showed them. Okay, you must pay your taxes. For what? They said, for next year. I had already paid my taxes three or four weeks ago. How can it be that I should pay for next year? I might live or not live in that time. You will pay, they said. No, I will never pay, I said. We were shouting in each other's faces. I told him, if you want money, you can come and take it by force. Not like this. I will never pay. Or I will close this door. I don't need it. He said, you will pay. Yeah, You will see. Okay, show me. I said, after these things, after one day, someone was knocking on my door. I went to it to receive maybe a friend, something like that. When I opened my door, I saw someone who then covered my face. Four or five persons put me in a pickup. They drove me in a particular direction for maybe 15 minutes. After that, they came for me and I went into a room, three by four meters. You can't see anything in this room. You could just hear some screaming for maybe two days. 
I didn't know why I was there and where I was exactly. I had no idea whether it was really night or when it was morning. I wasn't able to tell exactly the time. If someone sat and lit a light, you could only see them by that light. They started asking me about my support of other opposition political parties. They said to me that I was collecting money for these people, for them to let them buy weapons. I didn't do this. You had like a charity or something like that. I didn't do it. You did. I didn't do it. You did. You did. After a while, what they say becomes real. They took their revenge over me by force. They did many things that were not good. After two weeks exactly, my uncle talked to an officer and asked him how to get me out. He said he should pay to get me out. When he had already paid, he came to me and told me, you're here, okay? Tomorrow you will meet a judge. Just say yes, sign the documents I give you. That's all you should do. I was prepared to do anything to get out. If he had asked me to kill, I would have done it to get out. I just saw one person at the table. I said, yes, I signed. When I got out, I asked him what things exactly I had said yes to. Okay, you signed and said yes, that you were supporting the opposition party. You said yes, that you will come here every week to sign. And yes, that you are not allowed to go out of this country and also that you cannot visit any doctor. Never. And you cannot tell anyone about these things. I said, okay, yes, yes, yes. When I was there, he also said four words. If you can survive. What do you mean? He said, I'm not going to guarantee these people. I went to see my auntie who lives far away from my place, like three or five hours. I rented a car to take me there because, because I couldn't drive my car. My fingers were broken. I went there and stayed for three days. My brother called me and told me, don't come back. If you're already away, go. Go. From there you can find smugglers to help you to go to Libya. I chose to go to Libya. It took three months. In Libya, I started to fight many fights. You fight the police, they take your money, take your phone, anything in your pocket, they take it by force. This was in 2015. This is the kindliness of Libya. They clean you out. After that, there was nothing to do but to get out. After being out on the streets, there was no other way. I thought the best thing for me would be to go to Egypt. It would be better there. There I knew someone who could smuggle me across the Mediterranean. I needed someone who could take me the sea route to Alexandria and from there I could get to Turkey. People, smugglers, recommended me to go to Alexandria because if I was anywhere else, the police could get me. Not one of the smugglers let us get off where we wanted. Even if we offered to pay them, we were told that we had to go to Alexandria. Anywhere else, we were told that the Egyptian police would detain us and send us back. If there's anyone who wanted to get off, they would hold up the situation, so they make you go. There is no going back. There, in Alexandria, I could get in touch with people who could facilitate the journey. I chose to come by boat. You have to choose between the bullets and the packets. I chose to come by packet. When you go, there is no returning back. I chose to go. We were on the sea for 12 days until we reached Sicily and from there we reached here. So from Sicily to Turin and then to Ventimiglia, Milan and then Paris. On the boat there was a group of us. We were guarded all the way but we got on together by chance. There were other Sudanese with me and many other nationalities. It wasn't limited by nationality. 
the first aim was to get to Egypt. Nothing more, nothing less. I didn't plan on coming to Europe. It wasn't a dream or anything. I just wanted to be somewhere safe, even if that was Egypt. Any place to make me safe. That's all I wanted. It was not my choice to come here. I came here by force. I do not like Europe. I'm sorry to say that because it's not my culture. And even it's not my language. I didn't know them. They didn't know me. Because of that, I didn't want to choose Europe. Never. Never. Even on the religious side. I'm Muslim. I know there are Muslims in Europe and that they are free to pray or not to pray. I know that. But what about my mother? If I was there in Egypt, I can work. I know myself. I can work everywhere. But how about safety? I couldn't find it anywhere else. When I moved to Egypt, I decided to stay in Italy. Okay, it's safe. It's good. But when I asked... A lot of people were there two, three years in the camp with no papers. It's not life. I came to Paris. I went to La Chapelle Metro. I went to Jean Quarles school camp. I saw people living under a bridge. This is not a safe life. This is not the life I am looking for. I heard about Germany. I heard about many, many countries. Someone told me, if you go to Calais, maybe you can reach the UK. It's like an adventure, you know, like when you are a kid looking for adventures. I'm like an island, swimming. Take me anywhere, anywhere. Okay, let me go there. It was big trouble when I came here. I can't believe this is Europe. Is it true that this place exists in Europe? Where is humanity? Where is democracy? Where is all this bullshit? They just write it in the paper. I think because we have come here, we are not human beings. We become animals, a new kind of animal. A new kind of animal that has developed at this time. It's known as refugee. We came here to see this really dignified life. Yes, I like it. It's a good life for people. I don't want to talk about differences between white and the black people. It's like we have been deserted because this is Europe, huh? A place of humanity. I think one day maybe we will develop ourselves to be human beings. But now we are not human beings. Like they said at the border, some insects came across. I think we are still insects. That is true. When I was trying to follow my dream of being useful to other people, I mentioned Bruce Lee. He's an ethical person. He protects persons who are weak. I like being a person who protects the weak. Maybe now I'm another kind of Bruce Lee. I try to protect the refugees. They fight a difficult fight. Sometimes you can choose. I want to do this. Not that you should fight. You should help. You should try to do your best, to be useful, to be a man. You're not a man because you are strong or because of your acts. You should put the weak before the strong. In a bad time, not just in a good time. This will show you who is bad and who is good. Many people ask me why I haven't applied for asylum in France. But this situation here in the jungle is not likely to be one that encourages anyone to get registered in France. Before you come to the jungle, you have an idea of the jungle. This destination is what it really is. Do you want to know? Why do you want to go to the UK? Okay, I will answer that question. I have been here for three months in this wonderful world, the jungle. Really? It is wonderful. Because of the people inside, they are wonderful. You can see many nations saying hi, hello in different languages. You can see in their eyes that they respect you, but they can't say that to you. 
even from their eyes, you can tell if they want something. Sometimes they are looking for a translator. Or yourself, sometimes you are asking someone, please translate. We are able to talk even in silence. You can find what you want. Someone sees someone who is cold. Maybe he will give you his blanket. Take this. You are colder than me. You can find the real kind of human being here. That is making all these people real people. Since I came here, I haven't encountered French volunteers. Maybe one, maybe two. Compare it to the number of British volunteers. All these people, they come from England and they support and they are real help. You see volunteers who stay here for two months and never go to their home. Just because they want to help people who have no help. Because of humanity. Also, I want to go to the UK because of how UK people treat us. And here there is no difference between black and white. They respect you because you are human. This is the life I want. This is a dignified life. Every single day I spend in here makes me want to go to the UK even more. Because I discover and get to know more about that place. The French police will spray gas in your eyes. Sometimes they will kick you in the stomach. Sometimes they will beat you with sticks. You would think they are respected people. Sometimes they detain you for two weeks, even five weeks without anything, just because we are refugees. We do not see anything of France that makes us want to stay here. No one feels they are wanted by the French government. You won't meet anyone here upsetting you. People will greet you and welcome you. That is what makes this a wonderful place. I don't have good neighbours in here. I have good brothers. I have brothers from Syria, Eritrea, Sudan, Kurdistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, Egypt. 6,000 people. Those are my brothers. I am a rich man. Because of that, I sleep in safety. I can eat with anyone in here. I asked them and they asked me, please come here, eat with us. Do you know why? Not because of money, no, no. Because of respect. Respect with a little smile. You can have everything here, everything. Because they are looking for respect. Give respect, take respect. Not like outside in the city. Give me something and I will give you something. No. You can try this. Go anywhere in the jungle. Say hi and you will hear, hi, please, come on in. You will find people say, hi, hi my brother, and inviting you in. It's because of this that I find it wonderful. What I told you about my dream of being useful for the people, I can be that here all the time. I can help them. I can arrange something. I can ask for food for them. That makes me useful in here. Because of that, I find this place wonderful. I find happiness here. How many people find true happiness? How will you pay to find happiness? How will you pay? How much? I think I find happiness in here. Real happiness. If I go to the centre of Calais to take a rest, one or two hours later I will miss the jungle and come back here. Because I think I belong in this place. If I go to the UK I will try to help the people here, from there. Until my last pursuit in my life, I will try to help people, anywhere. I will do my best to help people. The best solution is ideally where a man helps as much as he can. God helps his servant as long as he helps his brother. This is a hadith of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And he cannot be faulted, he's right. The Prophet said that the best of men is the one who is most useful to the people. The Lord God, he promised that when you help your brothers, I will help you.
Look, I didn't pay anything for this caravan. It has been brought here to help me. I wear clothes. I didn't buy them. My life is good. I'm in a good situation. Eating, drinking, wearing clothes, sleeping good. I am in a better situation than the millions of people that sometimes can't find anything to eat at all. I cannot find a place to sleep. I am good. <laughs> 